Hey, everybody. Want to give a quick shout out to all these new listeners that are joining the last 10%. That's right. This week, we've added listeners in the Netherlands and Canada, Australia, Germany, United Kingdom, France, and Mexico, not to mention in the United States. And so welcome to the last 10%. We hope you've enjoyed the content and we are so excited and thankful for your support. Today, we have an amazing guest. His name is Scott Telema, and he's an FBI trained hostage negotiator. He has been in some sticky situations and we get all into those details and he shares how he's used communication tools to help navigate those difficult situations. And those same tools you can apply in your work, at home, with your teams, and in your roles as leaders in your organizations. You don't want to miss this conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett. I am in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers barber chair. But more importantly, we have today Scott Tillema. Awesome guest. We're going to talk a lot about communication, because we have a communication expert with us. He's an FBI-trained hostage negotiator, co-founder of the Negotiations Collective. He's a keynote speaker. I mean, and just all around great guy. So welcome, Scott. Hey, Dallas. How are you? Great to be with you on the last 10% podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, man. Well, I know everybody's uh, after that intro is just wondering, like, how in the world, how did you get into doing what you're doing? Like, tell us about what you're doing today in terms of hostage negotiations and, and how you got to where you are. Yeah, thank you. I'm an active duty law enforcement officer in the Chicago area. I've got 20 years of experience in the field. One of my more interesting assignments that I've had in my career, I was trained by the FBI in 2007 in crisis and hostage negotiation. And I worked for one of the largest regional SWAT teams in the country as a crisis and hostage negotiator. And it's a very interesting line of work that kind of brings together law enforcement, communication, persuasion, influence, really, really interesting conversations with people in really critical moments. And uh, to answer your question, how I get into this, my educational background is in behavioral science. For undergrad, got a master's in psychology. So I'm really interested in what people do, why they think what they think, and more importantly, how we can move them in the direction that we want to go. Doing this work was a lot of fun. You become a, a bit of an adrenaline junkie because it's every time the, the phone rings that it's life or death. It's truly you're having conversations in really intense moments. And I trust that hopefully a lot of your listeners are not leading these types of conversations, but all of us are having these difficult conversations, these impactful conversations that really need some structure and need some guidance. And people avoid them and we're afraid of them we know that there's consequence to these conversations. And particularly, you do a lot of work in leadership. So for your leadership people out there, 
when you go into these conversations, do you have a vision of how it's going to go or are we just kind of swinging at the fences and, and hoping for good things? And what I'm doing now in my work as co-founder with the Negotiations Collective, we offer training and education for people in leadership roles on how to have these difficult conversations, how to be persuasive, how to be influential, how to make more money and, and get more things and make life a little bit easier. Uh, that's awesome. And I think you're so on point with that because, I mean, as a leader, as a coach, as someone who's running a business or an organization, it's almost like there's this spectrum. Either we're not afraid to have a difficult conversation and we go in like a bull in a china shop and then we just kind of leave with a lot of collateral damage <laughs> just everywhere. Or, you know, maybe we are on the other side of the spectrum and we just tend to avoid those conversations at all costs. And then we still end up having collateral damage. It's not as visible. It's more attention, underlying tension or manipulation and all these things. And so I love how you say that there's a way and it's almost like, hey, we need to have a plan and an approach. If you want to lead a team or lead an organization, I think having an approach and a plan as it relates to this difficult communication is absolutely necessary. For sure. You have to have a structure. I've learned over many years of being engaged in these conversations that there's different models, there's different approaches. The FBI teaches the behavioral change staircase model, and that's kind of the gold standard in hostage and crisis negotiation. And it's not a classified thing. Any of your listeners can put that into Google and look it up and talk about that and learn about that. There's books written about the FBI approach. I just see it a little bit differently. It's been around for 30 years. I think communication has evolved the way we connect with people has evolved. And I really think that it's important that what you see is all there is. I think that's a really important concept to say, I see a stairway and a lot of people were starting at the bottom and I tell the high performers, your job is to get to the top, to get to the top stair, five stairs up. And a lot of people rush to the top where they skip stairs and they trying to get right to the fifth step here. When I teach hostage negotiations, conflict resolution, crisis negotiations, I show a visual of a circle. And I say the circle represents the bond that we are creating. We're trying to form a connection with somebody. And I see this over and over again. We do training, reality-based training scenarios with law enforcement officers. And I'll jump out of a car and I'll be holding a knife to a neck, screaming at them. And I let them know, hey, I'm not afraid of you. I want to die. And their focus is only on the behavioral change, which is the very top stair, which is drop the knife, drop the knife. Okay, well, fantastic. It's not working. Why not? And when I change your perspective to say, your goal isn't to try to change my behavior, which is what everybody in society is doing. We're trying to sell you and market you. We're all trying to get this influence. I say, your goal is to form a bond with this person. Your goal is to connect with this person. And once we have this mindset shift, now all of a sudden, we start listening to them. We start giving some thought, not only to what we say, but how we're saying it. And once we start focusing on, I want to connect with you, Das. I want to see how you see it. I want to learn what your concerns are. Now we become really powerful because I think that our power in negotiations comes from information and options. And once we start putting these things together, we learn, hey, we can be really powerful and really influential. So I take a very different approach to crisis negotiations, and I found that this same approach can be used to be effective in customer service and in leadership and in sales because we are trying to get someone else to go where we want them to go in an ethical manner that's not manipulative. And a lot of people in a lot of different fields are finding success with this. And I think it's fascinating to say, 
we're all dealing with people. I'm not negotiating with a major corporation. I'm negotiating with a person who has emotions and a thought process and decision-making that is somewhat predictable. I'm very curious to see if you've gotten a lot of pushback, whether it's in your training or whether it's on actual on the job, but like that approach is definitely unique and it's definitely not intuitive to a lot of people that you would first start. I mean, in one sense, it's like common sense, but on the other side, it's not common behavior. What I've seen in some in situations where we're going in in a coaching way and we're trying to train on coaching, we'll see the pushback and somebody will say, hey, I can get this person to do what I want to do just by being transactional. I'm just going to tell them. And it's kind of like what your example was. It's like you're working on that behavior at the end. It's almost like a tactical approach at the end versus working on the front side and going with connection. Have you had a lot of pushback from people or any kind of, you know, I don't know, just kind of in terms of when you're sharing that with your trainees? My first question is, is what you're doing right now working? If it's working for you, then keep doing it. Who am I to tell you that in your field, I am the expert? Because I'm not. I don't know the technicalities of most of the work that people do. So if you have a system that's working, great. But a lot of folks aren't trained in this type of thing. And they're challenged to say, here's a script that I have. And it's about me. It's about my product, why I'm so interesting and why you should care about me. And we're seeing a change in our society right now. Even over the last year or two, people are empowered. The companies don't have the control that they used to, and the command and control leadership approach is no longer working. People feel, I have the right to work from home. I don't have to do this. And what we're seeing right now is a really big push on an autonomy trigger. Over the last couple of years, we have been told what to do, and this is pressing on our autonomy. So what used to be, I'm going to tell you what to do, and then you have to do this, and you have to comply no, I don't need to do this. I don't need to work at this company. I don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to have this vaccine. I don't need to not work in the office. I do need to work from the office. I need to send my kids to school. I don't need to send my kids to school. We're getting a lot of pushback because I think people are frustrated of being told what to do. And especially in a free society in the US where we traditionally had the freedoms to do largely whatever we want, this is becoming tiresome for people. And now we're getting that pushback to say, I want the autonomy to do what I want. The high pressure sales, I'm going to tell you what to do. You have to do this. I don't think is working with people much longer. So we have to take a different approach. And I think the idea of building a relationship, building a connection with them and allowing them the freedom to choose what they want to do next is very, very different from you have to do this. Because Ultimately, I can pressure you into doing something and you might agree to do it begrudgingly. You might agree to do it. Ultimately, they're going to have to put this into play. They're actually going to have to do this. And if somebody's not willingly a partner with you, how likely are they to want to do this? And are you going to get a good product? Do you have a strong agreement or not? And your proof is in the pudding. You're going to have somebody who tells you yes, and they're really not going to go along with it. You're going to say yes, just to get rid of you. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, I love the direction you're going with that because we're experiencing, no matter what the organization, no matter the business, we're going through this period of the great resignation. And I think that it's for a lot of different reasons, but you know, working from home and all the COVID situations that we've had to go through, just people are in a different place now. And I think that one of the challenges I think that a lot of organizations face is they kind of got caught not knowing exactly. Like I think everybody took their eye off the ball because it's like, okay, we got to figure out how we can work remotely because you know of all the 
you know, outside stuff that's going on with COVID. We moved to remote. And now it's like, yes, but you have lost a relational component of face-to-face. So how, if you weren't really doing a good job of connecting with you know, team members before, how much worse is it now that you're not even face-to-face, that you can't even see them in the hall or see them in the office or in the break room or anything like that and build these relational connections? So I think your message of connection is even more important now that there are more people working remotely because it is more difficult to connect with someone you know, through a screen versus in person. And yet we have to be really intentional about that. So people ask me, then how do we do this? It's more than, hey, I want to connect with you. I want to bond with you. I think the first step is realizing that we need to do that, that leadership is about the whole person. It's not just about their work. If people don't feel that connection to you, you can expect them to leave your company and your agency because why are they still there? And that kind of leads into a discussion on you know meaning and purpose. Why am I here? And I found that to be a really big thing in crisis negotiation. You're dealing with somebody at a really low point. They've lost their meaning. They've lost their purpose because they're working so hard just to get by. I just need to pay the bills. I just need to figure out how I can get my next meal. I just need to get through this day. It's a real struggle. And one of the things that I try and teach people now, the next generation of negotiators is, can we help them find their meaning and purpose? because they've lost that. And this is what we're seeing in society right now. People have lost their meaning and purpose because we're working so hard just to get by. Gas prices are extraordinary. My retirement fund is collapsing. How do I get through this day? I can't find work. What is their meaning and purpose? And when we can help people find that, now we're really getting into a powerful position and having a real connection with them because we're going to help them see that, help them know their worth, help them know their value. And we forget that when we're just trying to get by. That's a piece that we forget. Over my work in negotiation, I've really identified four important principles that we need to touch on and focus on when we're trying to build that connection with people. I haven't come up with these four principles. They're not mine. Everybody's heard of them, but no one's put them together like this before. And I use this in trying to find connection and influence. And the four principles, it's understanding, timing, delivery, and respect that whether I'm having a hostage negotiation, a crisis negotiation with someone who's having a bad day, or I'm just trying to get to know somebody or trying to push them in the right direction they need to go, these are the principles that we need to work through. I can't sell you on something that you don't want. So let's begin by understanding who you are and what you need. And then being thoughtful of the timing that I could have the exact right thing to say, but if I say it at the wrong time or ask the question at the wrong time, it could be disastrous or ineffective. So think about the timing, the delivery. Not only do we need to consider what we say, but we need to consider how we say it. And for everybody that prepares for their difficult conversations and their negotiations, they're always coming up with their content or they should be coming up with their content. But rarely do they give thought to the delivery of how they actually present that. And I think that our delivery is what creates feeling in the other person, whether I like you or dislike you, or I'm feeling uncertain, or there's a trust issue there. A lot of that comes from delivery. So are we practicing how we say what we say? And then the last piece of respect, people say, you know, this is the easy one. I'm being respectful. I think that respect is about emotion and are we triggering people's emotion by how we're presenting this and this respect piece, this kind of dips into fairness. Are you being fair? It dips into autonomy. It dips into empathy. Can you see it the way that they see it? And when we start putting these four pieces together, 
I just see it as a circle. We're going around and around. And these four principles, when we're touching on each one of these, now we're forming a connection. Now we're forming dialogue. My goal is to have a real dialogue with you, to hear from you, to elicit this information, to inquire further, to suspend judgment. And this is how we get it done at a really high level when I'm trying to get a peaceful resolution in a situation when I really don't have much to offer you. I'm not coming in offering you money or a helicopter or something that you might see in the movies, but yet we're still able to get a job done and the majority of the situations reach this peaceful outcome. So this is what I use in my work in crisis and hostage negotiations. This is what I teach when I teach this for companies. I teach it for law enforcement. I teach it at universities. This seems to work. This is my ingredients to connecting with people. And once you have a connection, then we've got influence. Now you can start to have people listen to you and, and get them going in the way that you want them to go. Man, that is so, that's just so amazing. I love, I love how you frame that up. I love how you've packaged that. I like the idea of the circle because it's almost like you're saying it's iterative. It's not like you have understanding first and then timing the delivery and then you have respect and then you're done. It's like that process just keeps on going. And the more that you kind of go around that circle and the more times that you can go through that circle, I would imagine the greater the connection that you have with that person. I love how you've packaged that in that way. Tell us about a time, if you can think of, uh, that you've used this and implemented this in a situation with one of your negotiations. Because I imagine, because see, whenever you hear of hostage negotiations, I mean, I immediately go to like the movie. I don't even know when it was. This is called The Negotiator. And I know there's a lot of Hollywood in that movie and whatever, but I'd love to hear, you know, of a story that you've experienced that you were implementing this in. I think that we learn best from maybe the ones that didn't work. I think that it's important that we take our failures and learn from that rather than just celebrating the successes and say, well, this has worked so good because here's what I did. I think that just starting on the very first principle of understanding, particularly with leaders, it's not that they're bad listeners and they don't know how to understand. I think they're probably quite good at that. But where they trip up here, they just don't do it because we're busy. We have pressing issues. So let's go to the next. Let's go to the next. So this is the one that we skip. And when you skip the understanding, bad things happen. To answer your question here, I was having a face-to-face negotiation with a man who was holding a gun to his head. Usually we don't do face-to-face negotiations because it's a little bit dangerous, obviously. But in this particular case, the SWAT team had moved forward and they were in the basement of this person. So we're talking face-to-face, which I think is really powerful communication because unlike over the phone when you can just hear my voice, now we can see each other and that's really, really powerful. But he was suicidal and he was holding a gun to his head. And this is the intense moments where every word counts. The way you say every word counts. I talked to this man for a couple hours and I was, I remember trying to sell him on the idea of we should take you to the hospital. I just come in assuming, you know, the police are there. Nobody wants to go to jail. And they they just assume that we're going to take them away and they're in trouble. So I try to ease that by saying, you know, instead of taking you with us, we can get you to the hospital where we can get you some help. Assuming, again, this is what he wants. It's been a while since I've, I've had this conversation. So I look back and I try to remember, did I inquire with him? Did I ask him? is this what you want to do before I started selling him on this is a good idea? Because Scott thinks this is a good idea rather than asking this gentleman, is this something that would be helpful to you? Is this something that you want? 
I reflect upon this one because this is probably the most memorable negotiation I did because ultimately later on that day, he shot himself. It's always troubling to look back and say, I had the opportunity to send this in a different direction. And usually we get a peaceful outcome, a safe surrender. So why not in this case? Why did this one go bad? And when the consequences are so great, it's really tough not to look back and really try to dissect that and have that autopsy to say what went wrong. What could I have said? What didn't I say? What didn't I ask? And it turns out he didn't want to go to the hospital. He had just been released from the hospital. So here I am trying to sell him on something that he didn't want. Because for anybody who's actually been a patient in the hospital, you realize that's not a friendly place. It's not a nice place. It's not a fun place. I just want to be not there. And here I am trying to sell him on this thing that wasn't going to work because, of course, he didn't want to go back there. Did I take the time to understand his situation? Did I take the time to be a good listener first? Did I ask the good questions? Most people listening in today are not going to have that level of consequence in their difficult conversations. Their consequence is just not going to be that significant. So let's slow things down a little bit and be willing to take the time and be willing to ask the questions with the people that we're dealing with and explore that a little bit and be compassionate about it and say, you know, I don't know. I don't understand. How quickly do we just want to say, yeah, I understand, Dallas. I understand. But I don't know you. I don't know your situation. I don't know your history, at least not deep enough that I can be making decisions for you. So let's really lead with questions and be great listeners and engage in the eight skills of active listening, which is kind of a foundational bedrock of my profession. We need to begin by understanding, begin by listening and learning. When we're face-to-face or if we're on Zoom, and this is another big change in how we communicate, not only do we need to be great listeners, but are we understanding what we see? Are we studying gestures? and body language, and facial expressions. There is so much information to be gathered here. And this has really changed in the last couple of years because three years ago, I would never be doing Zoom calls with people. I'd be doing phone calls with people. So we have the ability to take in this information. Are we doing this? Are we paying attention to that? Are we studying this? Maybe we're missing really obvious information there. And I would even go as far as to say that if we're faced with a competing difference between what I see and what I hear, I'm going to fall back on what I see because if I can see it, I can believe it. So yes, we have to be great listeners, but there's a whole bunch of other skills that now we need to be taking in and studying. And this is an important piece and a change in communication that we need to be good at this. We need to be really good at this. And that helps us understand the person, understand the situation. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. ThinkMove Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful 
we created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. There's just so much there that I just found fascinating. Number one, I appreciate you being honest and open about an experience that you look back on and you go, you know, how could I have done that better? I was actually, you know, I was talking to a Navy SEAL and he makes all his employees, when they present their resume, he makes them present a reverse resume. I think he calls it a reverse resume. And it's like you go back through and all those highlights that you have on your resume, you have to put it in reverse and put all the failures that were in between all those, you know, on those highlights because he wants to see how they respond to those failures. I think that's such a good I think that's such a good lesson, and, and I appreciate you leading the story with that because I think, I think it's just, it also is, man, it's so intense. I could not imagine the level of intensity standing there with the SWAT team, guns drawn, you've got another guy with a gun, you're the guy that's supposed to be calm, cool, and collected in that whole situation, and then you've got to stay cool enough to be thinking ahead and working this model that you've laid out. This is kind of a little bit off topic, but your level of the environment that you operate in has such high level of stress. How do you manage that? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Because that seems like it would be really intense. Just like anything else, you can't be expected to perform if you're not practicing. When I do training for negotiators, a lot of these folks say, you know, we don't have the opportunity to train and practice. And for me, that's the scary part to say, okay, how can you be expected to have a life or death conversation if you're not getting these reps in. And there's different ways to do this and there's different ways to practice this. And I say most simply, if nothing else, the next time you get a spam call, one of these people that's selling you your car warranty or your grandchild was kidnapped in another country, use this as an opportunity to practice the eight skills of active listening. You can go online, Google eight skills of active listening. First of all, let's know what this is. And then let's practice this. Let's get good at asking open-ended questions, concepts like reflecting or mirroring. Let's try this. This is not something that I use in my everyday conversation, but at a high level, I'll start engaging in these skills. Are we good at paraphrasing and summarizing what's being said? Are we good at emotion labeling to say, hey, you sound a little bit frustrated right now. And we're connecting with the emotion behind what they're saying. All right, really cool. Are we good at silence, these effective pauses? And a lot of people aren't. We'll put a pause in the conversation and now people are like, ah, I got to jump in and fill this gap right here. Are we comfortable having a moment of silence and allowing that person to take that in or giving them room to keep talking? So when we do this all the time and we just practice this, and I was lucky I was on a very professional team where we did a lot of training, not only as a SWAT team more broadly, but just as a negotiations team. This is just kind of another conversation that we have. And for somebody that doesn't immerse themselves in this, this would be such a big moment that, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do? Truly, I will say that I remember my first time that I was on the phone as the primary negotiator. It is overwhelming. It's, I, I really had that moment of, man, I can't remember any of this because this is a big stressful situation. But by practicing, it becomes common. And I would say, I want you to be so good at this that these aren't skills, but this is who you are. I can take these principles and this is who I am. These skills of listening, I'm not going through a checklist of saying these are skills that I'm working through. This is just who I am. And you want to be that good. But also, 
we don't do this individually. This is the bit of the cheat side of it that you don't see in Hollywood. In Hollywood, you have the negotiator. You got Denzel Washington on the phone doing amazing things. Awesome. But we're working as a team. Rarely do you have one negotiator getting the job done in these situations. And I don't think that it should be any different in corporate negotiations. That let's set the ego aside. Let's leave that at the door. If you're the decision maker, you shouldn't be the negotiator. I need that to be removed from you. And this is where we find problems. We have people with ego that say, I need to be the one conducting this negotiation, having this conversation. You really need to remove that and put a team in place. When we do this, we have a primary negotiator. That's the person on the phone. We have a secondary negotiator. That's a coach. That person is solely focused on the primary negotiator, giving real-time feedback and listening into the conversation. We have guys doing intelligence work, finding out about your background, checking your social media. What can I learn about you to help us have a productive conversation? We have technical guys who are working on the equipment. We have a team leader who's making decisions and liaisoning with other members of the SWAT team. I got a log officer who's, I'm surrounded by whiteboards and they're putting notes up on the board. Here's information about this. Here's information about the offender, about weapons, about demands. And they're jotting down like a legal record of what's going on. So I'm surrounded by support. It's not just me having this conversation. And why can't we do that same thing in the corporate world? Have true teams working toward negotiating great success and being willing to humble ourselves to say that if we want to be great at this, it's going to take more than just me. I really want to have a team of specialists who are focused on getting successful results. There is so much there. First of all, I want to go back to something you said early on, and that is if you are listening to the last 10% right now, I think we just had this amazing nugget of value drop that I think could be one of the most actionable items that we've ever had on the show. I've never heard anyone be able to take a spam call and turn it into something useful until now. I mean, if you didn't hear anything else today, the fact that you could take a spam call and use it to practice how you're going to implement the eight skills of active listening is amazing. I love that. It is so awesome. I mean, really, you've taken something that is just an absolute nuisance to me, and now you've given it actual meaning and purpose. So next time I get a spam call, I'm going to actually try it out. I'm going to do it. I'm totally going to do that the next spam call. So all the spammers, look out. You're going to run into the eight skills of active listening on the next call. If you are listening to the show, please try it out. We'd love to. We'd love to hear how that goes. Connect with me on LinkedIn or go through Think Move Thrive and let us know how it works out because I'd love to hear your story. I will absolutely try this out. This is going to be something that is just now it's a challenge. It's fun. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I think another thing that you were mentioning is how hard it is to separate the emotions that we have tied up in a decision from something that we're negotiating, especially when it gets into the negotiation. There's emotions that can arise in the negotiation if you're the one making the decision that could you know, really block the clarity that you need to have a, have a great negotiation and also really hamper that circle, you know, the four principles that you were talking about, the understanding, the timing, and even the respect. If you get in the decision and you're like, oh, so I love how you pointed that out. I think that especially for 
anybody that's running teams, running projects, business leaders, organizational leaders, that's awesome advice. And I love also how you are so quick to give all the credit to this supporting team of negotiators and that you're not the one running this thing alone and how you guys are working together. It's like a well-oiled machine, how you've got these whiteboards going on. And man, that, it actually does sound like the movies. That's incredible. I love the description of that. It's important to know your role there. There is no hero here. The outcome is what we want. We want a great outcome. And I remember going through reports, there was a a hostage situation where a man took his ex-girlfriend hostage. My partner was on the phone. After this, you know, all, all the police, everything we do is a matter of record. And I scribbled a note to her and it was, I knew it was my handwriting. It was bad handwriting. And I was using the whiteboard marker that I use and it was a uh, paper, and I just wrote on there, you sound great. Uh, this was collected and, and scanned into record. I just, what little piece this is that I contributed to this to say, how important is that when you're under the gun and you get a little bit of feedback that says, hey, you're doing well, you're going in the right direction. I'm not saying, hey, give me the phone, I'm going to take over. Just those little words to say, hey, you sound great can make a real difference to somebody who's working really hard under pressure to give them that validation. And it's really, really interesting. Oprah Winfrey talks about how she's got thousands of guests on her show, 35,000 guests or however many people have been on her show. And she goes, the one consistent thing that people want is validation, that they finish the interview and then they ask, how was it? How did I do? Was that okay? From the most famous, powerful people in the world to an unknown nobody, always ask, how did I do? So remember, people want that validation and give that to them. So we can give that on our own team to our own negotiators and leaders. Hey, you're doing great. And that's a little bit of confidence that they might need to get over the hill. And maybe it's the person that we're talking to. Hey, you know what? It took a lot of courage to just set that gun down. What you're saying, what you're doing now is really brave. And give them that little bit of validation that they might need to move them in the direction. Because we make decisions based on emotion all the time. And I think that that's why the decision makers, we can't get them sucked into a negative emotion. We can just come and present them. Here's what we have. We need your decision on this. The last thing I want is for them to be involved in a heated conversation where they're going to get triggered by something that was said, something that wasn't said. And now they're making a poor decision for the team because it's driven by emotion. We know people make decisions based on emotion. So let's use that rather than this old idea of let's separate the person from the problem. We're not going to be able to do that. We are invested in this. And I think sometimes that's why if you can have a negotiator separate from that decision making process, that can be really powerful for you. Say the decision maker here, we're we're trying to be clear and all the emotions and that messiness of those conversations, we can kind of set that aside. But let's not forget. Sometimes we, you and I, whoever is having this conversation, we know that this can be messy. We know that there's tough emotions involved and just be ready for that and understand that. And sometimes we just take a breath and reset ourselves when we start getting taken down that hole to know, all right, I'm becoming emotional. This is normal. Everybody does this. And now let me try to reset so I'm not hijacked in my brain with these uh, negative emotions that are there because it's just, uh, we've evolved this way. This is what helps us stay alive, this fight or flight response. That's helped us stay alive, but no, it exists. So when we're reading that social media comment that really makes us angry, no big deal. I got this. This is a normal reaction and I'm back in control of myself. If nothing else, a lot of times people ask me, how can I deal with this other person when we're called in to consult on a situation? 
how can I control this other side? He's really being a jerk or impossible or irrational. I say, listen, this might be scary to hear, but you might not be able to control the other side, but you know who you can control is yourself. So let's begin by working on you and not worrying about the other side. When people now have this other mindset shift, I am in control of me. And this is kind of the extent of what I can truly control. Now we start looking in the mirror and focusing inward and saying, what do I need to improve? What skills do I need to get better? Where am I going to be triggered? And then we become really powerful because now I'm just focused on myself. I can get better. I can get stronger. The idea, the phrase that I can't no longer exists. It's now I choose not to. That's a really, really scary thing to hear. Now, instead of saying, oh, I can't do that. I choose not to do that. Try that on. How does that feel for you? I am now empowered to make decisions that impact my life. And now you're just, you're becoming a really much more powerful, complete in control person. I'd love that. Oh, I love that. There's so much there. So, you know, we are a big fan of recognizing team members and we talk about that. It just resonated with me when you passed the note over on record during a negotiation, just to say, man, you sound great because I love the word validating and validation because it's like taking, it's almost a form of recognition and it has all these things rolled up into it, like your understanding, because you're saying, look, I understand you're building connection with your team member when you validate them because you're saying, look, I understand how difficult what you're doing is. I got respect for you and you're doing a great job. And that validation, especially from somebody else in the arena, is so impactful. And I mean, I'm sure that not only your teammate, appreciated that, but I'm sure that that is another way that you guys work together and that makes your team just run so much more smooth because they can just take that in and be like, I know he's got my back. I know he's watching over my shoulder. And I know that if I'm starting to slip, if he's going to catch me doing something right, then I can listen to him when he catches me doing something wrong or something I can do better. you know. And so I just think when you're putting things in the bank, people don't realize that when you talk about connection, we're adding to that bank balance. So that if we need to take a draw and we need to say, hey, we need to have this conversation, there's something else we need to talk about. And that's more of a corrective action or more of improvement or something that they're missing, some gap in their awareness that you have enough, you have enough built up in the bank of relational capital where you can say, I do that. And one of the ways I think you did, you just home run with that was talk about validation. We're going to meet them where they are and we're going to tell them, thanks. We're going to tell them you did a great job. We're not, I think people misunderstand that you're, what you said was, you were not validating something that was inaccurate. You know, some people's like, well, I'm not going to walk around and just tell people they're doing good just to tell them just because that, yeah, that's exactly right. Because they're going to know you're being a fake. What you did was you noticed you were in the moment and noticed that person that they were doing a good job. And then you had the initiative to go and validate that behavior. And I think that we miss that so many times. If we want to live in the last 10%, that is a key component is absolutely validating people for the work that they do. Not, and here's the amazing thing that you did. It wasn't you got to the end, you guys went out on a debrief and you were like, hey, I noticed that you did a great job. You did it in the moment, like while it was happening, you slid the note over. That's why it got put on record is because you literally did it during the negotiation. I just think that's awesome. It's much more powerful if we validate in the moment then if we wait two weeks and say, hey, yeah, I remember, remember back in two weeks ago, I really appreciate that you did a good job. No, no, just catch it right there in the moment. And the other thing is, I thought when you talked about self-awareness, that piece where people actually 
understand and can start to be aware of their own emotions. It was like, if you can be self-aware of your reaction, you want to do that so you know how to control your response and that you can be in control of your response. And I just, I love the I choose not. I choose not to. I mean, that's just so, you're right. That is so powerful because it puts you in the driver's seat. It's not a victim. You're not a victim. You're a decision maker and you're choosing not to. And I just think, man, that's so good. Those are great. That's just great stuff, man. That's so great stuff. You talk about putting these deposits in the bank with people. They are going to see you actually care about them. It's not that we're only making these deposits, that this person cares about me and cares about my situation. And that's when we can really see things start to change as well. And sometimes I talk with people who are negotiating or are leaders and say, well, what if we don't care about them? My response is simple. You better care about them. That if you're a leader and you're having these conversations, why don't you care about these people? If you're negotiating with somebody in life or death situations, why wouldn't you care about them? And if you don't care about them, maybe this, maybe you're not the right person to have this conversation, or maybe you're not the right person right now to have this conversation. So I think that's another powerful piece in connection that you really do have to care about the person because that's going to also lead you to really good results. Uh, I love that. And I think that's so true. I mean, if you're leading people and you can have just conversations without seeking to understand, without validation, and you feel fine with that, I think what you said is, look, man, you need to take a gut check. Am I in the right spot? Am I in the right seat on the bus? Is this position? Am I go-? Because ultimately, you're not going to be successful or your team is not going to perform at the level that they need to perform at. So I think that's awesome advice. Tell us a little bit about your organization and tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you if they want to book you for it, because you do keynote speaking all over the world. I mean, I was just talking to you, you got off the plane. In fact, you know, the last time we were talking, you had just got out of, I was inviting you back to Charlotte and you had an experience in the Charlotte airport. So uh, it was not a good one. You actually posted about it on LinkedIn. So tell us how we can get in touch and a little bit about your Charlotte airport escapades. I'd love to visit Charlotte again. And a positive note, I was flying back from a negotiations conference and everything went badly. I spent the night sleeping on the floor at the airport because not only could we get the airplane, but we couldn't get an Uber. Nobody could get a hotel room. We were all stuck in that airport together. It was quite the night. And I think that's becoming more common. But I want to come back and have a positive experience in Charlotte. So let's make that happen sometime soon. I would invite the listeners to uh, check out the Negotiations Collective website. We're talking about connection and personal connection. So how about this? If you're on LinkedIn, and you should be on LinkedIn, um, connect with me on LinkedIn. I I would love to hear from you. Say, hey, I was listening to the last 10% podcast. Let's connect. Love to have a conversation with you. We can have a phone call or a Zoom. I'm really interested in meeting people in this industry that are interested in leadership and doing great things because we learn from each other. I'd love the opportunity to hear from all of you. So let's just connect on LinkedIn and have a really personal conversation. That's very good. Well, thank you, Scott, again. And thank you for sharing all your wisdom and insights. This has been a fantastic conversation. Great show. Maybe we'll have you back again. And maybe, maybe we can get you into uh, Charlotte on a better note real soon. So thanks again, Scott, for being with us on The Last 10%. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today 
Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.